Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about the Thunder's recent game against the Portland Trailblazers. Now, if you guys did not already watch that game, there's probably not a real reason to. Um, you know, the last game against the Phoenix Suns, complete blowout, lost by 37 points, but here's the deal. At least with that game, there were some pretty redeemable qualities. Like, this was one of the more fun games to watch, regardless of that final score, because Maladone was going off. He had, what, 33 points in that game, and Pokachevsky had 20. There was no real standout performer from the Thunder in this game. It was honestly just all one-sided from the get-go. Portland, they asserted themselves. He went on a 7-0 run to start out the game and by the end of the first quarter they were already up 35 to 19 so you know that's a 16 point lead that's pretty large for the first quarter already like you can definitely overcome that but once you see those leads expanding to the 20s and hell even the 30s in that second quarter that's when you start laying your own grave and that didn't actually happen I mean the Thunder they were pretty competitive in the second quarter they were getting the ball down low to Tony Bradley. Really just a lot of easy dribble drives for guys like Pokachevsky. You know, as long as you get the center off of him, you just got to hand the ball off to Bradley Brown, whoever it is. Brown's going to go for the flashy two-handed jam. Definitely sells better. But Tony Bradley, he's just going to grab it, chuck it right up, hits the glass, goes in. Same two points. So that's really what was going on. I think he had the first couple makes for them. And it's kind of just more of like a back and forth. And Oklahoma City, it seemed like they actually had a real shot to just get back in the game because the the deficit wasn't even that bad with like four, three minutes left in the quarter. But then Carmelo Anthony started turning up. And this is something that I wanted to watch heading into the game. It was going to see Melo just posting up on Pokachevsky and seeing how Poku reacted to that because Melo, he's done post shots millions of times before we saw in his OKC days really wasn't that amazing at it looks like he's done a lot better in Portland and he was just abusing Pokachevsky there so I think he had a 17 footer with about three minutes left and it sparked a 12-2 Blazers run so by halftime the Blazers they were up 65 to 47 that's not actually that bad all things considered I mean they only got what plus five in that quarter so you bounce back in the third you could be right in the game but that's just not what ended up happening portland they ran away with it in the third quarter oklahoma city they only posted 13 points in the period on the other hand the trailblazers almost got 40 points they had 104 points so they were up 45 points to end the third it was disastrous for them the trailblazers went on a 20 point run against the thunder i think it was like a 25 run and that's going to be that for you i think the lead got inflated past the 50s at one point there were 52 points in this game never even close oklahoma city never led in the game and nothing of real significance happened in the fourth Darius Miller had 11 fourth quarter points. Amazing. Josh Hall, he actually had to go to the locker room. So I guess that was the real big part of the fourth. He He's in concussion protocol now, actually. But nothing happened, really. 
um, game-wise, really just a shoot-around. Everyone had their benches out, and it's kind of just duking it out there. Portland ended up winning the game 133-85. to Let me do the math for you real quick. That's a 48-point win we're talking about. The only time that the Thunder franchise has seen a worse loss was when the Thunder were the Seattle Supersonics. So I don't even know if you want to count that. I think the Supersonics lost by 52 way, way long ago. So I'm counting this as their franchise record. I, You know, the PR was saying it. It's it's not something you want to be proud of. So I'm surprised the Thunder PR would even go out and, you know, acknowledge this. But that's what ended up happening. I mean, this is the biggest loss the Thunder I've seen since moving to Oklahoma City in 2008. And something that was kind of eerie about this, I just assumed like a 48-point loss, that is terrible. There's no way you have any games near that, especially with our past success. Like the only other year I would consider something like that occurring would be like the first or second season the Thunder were here. And even in the second season, the Thunder weren't even that bad. So really that first season where you got guys like freaking Johan Petro or whatever suiting up for you, that's the only time I could see them losing by close to 50 points. Apparently, this happened last year against the Milwaukee Bucks, and maybe I just have a super foggy memory, but I don't know. I don't remember a thing from this game. And the weirdest part was the Bucks, they had 133 points in that game. The Thunder had 86. So it was damn near identical. When you look at field goal percentages from that past game to this one, I think it was only a 1% difference, and it actually went in their favor. OKC on Saturday shot 35.3%. Whenever we lost by 47, they shot 36.3. So really no difference. From three, the Thunder couldn't get it going either. They shot 23.5% from there. Eight of 34. Portland Trailblazers, on the other hand, they had it rolling from the get-go. I mean, if you're going to score 133 points, clearly you're not going to be shooting in the mid-30s. They shot 49% on the game and 43.5% from three. They hit 23s to the Thunder's eight. So it's already 36 points heading their way just off of making the triples. If you want any good thing from this game, the Thunder actually had more free throws made than... The Trailblazers, Trailblazers shot 11 of 14, while the Thunder, they went 17 of 24. But that's about the only big takeaway. It's not even a big takeaway. That's the only real positive side you saw from this game. And look, whenever we lose, it's not that bad for us. Like whenever the Thunder lose, I'm not mad about it. You know, I'm still going to watch the game. I'm still going to make a good time out of it. And hell, you want to have those ping pong balls come lottery day. With SGA being out, Horford out, clearly they're not in the hunt for the playing seeds anymore. At least that's what I'd assume. You know, I can almost 100% say that. I probably could just say straight up they're not going to be in the play-ins or the playoffs just based off of what we've seen and just everyone being out. So losing's not a bad thing for us. It's probably the best thing that could be happening for our franchise, especially when all these other teams are also just getting blown out of the water. I think there were two other teams who ended up getting just completely blasted on Saturday. It was not just us. 
the Orlando Magic, for example, they ended up losing their game 137-91. to They lost by 46 points to the Utah Jazz and the Pistons as well. They're also in that hunt. They lost by 44 points to the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks, how the heck does that happen? I don't know. But those two teams are clearly losing all their games. The Cleveland Cavaliers are struggling. Somehow, the Chicago Bulls are right around us in the standings right now. And you also got teams like Houston, who you know are not going to be moving. And you also got the Raptors as well, but are they a fluke? We don't even know. So there's all these teams that are losing. You kind of got to match the pace with them. So you see an L here. That's that's good, right? But tank or not, like if you're losing by 48 points, that's not a good thing for your locker room. Like when you lose, it's not good for your locker room, but you get a learning experience. Even when you lost to the Suns, there were good pieces, as I said. There wasn't really any from this game. Kind of just playing pickup basketball for the last like 20 minutes or so. And when we've seen losses, it's very close till the very, very end. And those are going to be positive experiences regardless. You know, win or loss in those tight games for us in the current state of our team, that's a good thing. Like in years past, if we are down on the wire, we lose by a couple points. You know, we're talking single digits, one or two possessions. You're going to be heartbroken walking to that locker room. When we lose by one or two possessions right now, obviously it sucks as a player, but, you know, are they expected to win? They're the underdogs in almost every situation. So I think they kind of have their heads up high. Like, their starters are not here. The roster's gutted, and they're still able to perform really tightly with some of these teams so when the results not going their way they still make a positive out of it we saw mark dagnall post game actually saying you know positive stuff about this game now there wasn't really much to be talking about he just kind of was emphasizing the learning experience you could take away from this so i don't really think he was saying you know point blank i thought this guy was good this guy was good whatever he just took it as a learning experience and said you know we're gonna need to kind of talk this over you know, they're going to have a nice plane ride before playing the Detroit Pistons on Monday. So I'm assuming that's when you're going to start addressing that. You know, look at some of the film, see what you got to kind of patch up. But that's really what Mark Dagnall was kind of talking about just in general. I will say, though, I'm going to backtrack because I said he didn't point out a certain player here, a certain player there. He actually kind of did. He credited Tony Bradley for his hands, I guess, just overall with him coming over. And, you know, he did pretty good. I mean, he played over Moses Brown in terms of minutes again. Obviously, Moses Brown is the starter. But he played a bit more than Moses Brown, and he almost got a double-double. He had 14 points, 8 rebounds. And the way he's doing it, he just has to sit under the basket. Players will find him. He's just like Moses Brown in terms of what his dedicated skill set and role is on this team. He just does it a little bit more differently and... As I mentioned with Brown, he's a lot more glamorous with it. Bradley's not. I'd probably say Brown is probably more successful because he's either getting a dunk or getting to the free throw line. With Bradley, we haven't really seen him get to the line a ton. Like, he's gotten to the charity stripe maybe on like one possession these past couple games. But Brown, he's been able to lead the team in free throws attempted. So that's an elite skill that Brown has that I just don't think Bradley 
possesses. Same with the athleticism and all that. Bradley still gets his in terms of re- rebounding. Like he had two offensive rebounds out of those eight. So he's a dog there, but just a little bit different. I think he's a solid center, just like I keep talking about. I think he's a good rotational piece. He's not a done deal in terms of our future, but hell, you know, keep playing him 23, 24 minutes in these games and just see what kind of output you can get from him. You know, he's playing over someone like Moses Brown right now, but it's because the game was kind of just predetermined. Well, not predetermined. What am I saying? It was already kind of over, you know, come that second half when they went on the big 25 run. Moses Brown, when he was playing, was still phenomenal. I mean, going up against his former team in the Portland Trailblazers, he had a double-double, 10 points and 14 rebounds. Six of those were on the offensive side. That actually tied the high in this game because Enos Cantor, we've seen him in action. This guy is insane when it comes to getting just boards. He had 17 on the game. Six of those happened to be on the offensive side, but just keep imposing your will, man. And I really wish this was close because I wanted to see more time with him on Cantor. You really just saw Nurkic on him for the better portion of his time there. I wanted to see two of the best rebounders just kind of going at it and really see if he could haul down any offensive rebounds. And on the other end, will he be able to box out Cantor and make sure he doesn't get those offensive rebounds on him? So a little bit upset that I didn't get to see it from him you know I wish Brown would have gone off on 30 points on his previous team as I keep saying like they were seriously ditching him in the G League when there were guys like Caleb Swanigan, Wenyan Gabriel, Anthony Tolliver, and Scalabissier playing over him like that just doesn't make much sense to me especially when he was playing off the bench in Dallas and posting like 14 points, 8 rebounds, and a block and a half or something wild like that. I'm a little bit off on the numbers, but that's really what the baseline was. They never gave him a real shot. He played hardly anything. And when he did play, it was like three and a half minutes or something. So you can't be doing that. They never gave him a real chance. And, you know, I think they're definitely regretting their decision to let him go. It didn't mean that much in this game because they got a historic victory against them but you know I still think Moses Brown comes out of this feeling pretty good about himself he talked about post game how um you know he kind of felt about some of the Portland veterans he thought they're you know a big piece for him last season kind of helped him out through uh progressing and you know he said he's still pretty cool with a couple of them as well I think he targeted Carmelo Anthony in that speech a little bit of a name drop for him and You know, he's a legend, so no surprise as to why he would be doing that. When you look past those two centers, you had Kenrich Williams. He was really the main guy. He was the oldest player on the team today, 26 years old, and he was talking about leadership. He was the guy who was really holding them together in the game, and it it did fall apart for them. Like, this was a very loose tie. He was kind of knotting up, but... He was there the whole time. He shot an effective 7 of 13 on the game. He had 18 points, so no one got over 20, but he was still good. And then he had 5 rebounds and 2 assists. Talked about Miller with his 11 points, and everyone else wasn't really their game. Maladone 
big struggle for him. He went 4 of 4 from the free throw line, but when you take out the charity stripe, it was it was bad for him. He shot 1 of 12, 1 of 7 from the three-point line, so he only got 7 points on the game. And then Alexei Pokachevsky had 8 points on 3 of 13 shooting, 2 of 6 from downtown, and he didn't even get to the free throw line. Got 2 rebounds, 4 assists, a steal, and 2 blocks. So a little bit of diversity on the stat sheet, but the main one when you're just talking basketball, you want to see if he's scoring and just hitting at a high clip. He wasn't. No one on the team really was, so I'm not going to fault him, but kind of just tells you, you know, no one could really feel it in uh, in the game. Justin Jackson, he had his 15-point game in 12 minutes yesterday, and, well, I guess it'd be two days ago now, yeah, but in this game, he shot 0 of 8 in 16 minutes, and other players such as Fee, not too much going his way either. He shot 1 of 5 in the night. As I said, you know, Josh Hall, he might not be available for Monday's game. We're gonna see if he gets placed in a concussion protocol. Probably yes. And then also Isaiah Roby as well. To be quite honest with you, I'm a little bit confused where that um where that play would have been. I know actually, you know what? Maybe I do know. He did get clotheslined to start at the third quarter by CJ McCollum. Like he was driving in middle of the lane. McCollum's trying to stop him. He raises his right arm damn near at a 90 degree angle and he hits him. So Roby flails a ball up in the air, kind of falls on the ground. Didn't seem like a very hard fall, but I could see how that maybe would be the play that got him in concussion protocol. Don't know a hundred percent, but him and Josh Hall, they look like they're not going to be playing in Monday's game. So that's something you kind of need to take of note with the thunders loss them being at 20 and 29 they're in the clear from the new orleans pelicans right now as they as i am currently recording this they're 21 and 27 so it's a one and a half game cushion between us and the pelicans but then when you look down at the other guys you just can't chase the bottom two in the west right now don't think it's going to happen. Houston, 13-35. and 35. They are starting their losing streak just yet again. They're, they've lost three in a row right now. And, well, that's beating six and a half games behind them. I don't really see anything really amounting, amounting where we can get by them. And then with the Timberwolves, like, you always kind of think maybe they can turn the corner. And they just can't do it for whatever reason. They are 12 and 38. They are eight and a half games behind the Oklahoma City Thunder. So if there's really any shot of us getting by, it's going to be going through those Eastern Conference teams as I've outlined before. I think the Magic are in the clear from us, but the Cavaliers, the Raptors, the Chicago Bulls, those are the main three that you're kind of trying to get by so you can be in the top five come lottery day. I think something that kind of just overshadowed the Thunder game yesterday was the Gonzaga-UCLA game. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. You know, when the game is like in the final three minutes, of course, you kind of got to be watching it. 
Thunder game, I actually think it was in halftime when it was like critical moments. So it was perfect scheduling. You know, it's a 9 p.m. start time, but you got UCLA, Gonzaga, West Coast teams. They got a pretty late start time as well. So it just aligned just beautifully. I was able to watch it. I think everybody else was able to too. You guys probably watched it as well. But my goodness, Jalen Suggs. He had a couple of very nice plays in the back like eight minutes of the game. I know he had a rejection on one end. He just sprints up the court, rifles a bounce pass inside. That seemed like a dagger for Gonzaga. Didn't end up being that because Johnny Juzang is he's pretty good. And then in the overtime period, man, that uh that final possession, or I guess final two possessions were wild. You know, I had Gonzaga winning the entire tournament. My bracket is just completely busted though. Like, you know, I don't care. I think at the final stages, unless you're like at the top of like the ESPN tournament, you really should not be rooting for just the the big guys like at till the very end. And um you know, maybe that's an unpopular opinion. And if you're a Gonzaga fan, of course you're gonna root for them. And they're undefeated as well, so maybe that's another reason you'd root for them, but an 11 seed, a first four team who barely beat Michigan State, just grinding. They got some kind of budding stars as they talked about in Juzang. You kind of, at least in my opinion, I wanted to see them win. So when Juzang missed his initial runner, I was heartbroken. He got the offensive rebound, chucks it right back up, goes in. I was super hyped. But then you got Jalen Suggs just running right across the court, goes up, pulls it from the timeline, a little bit of a hand in his face, but nothing much, man, banks it in, good to go, Gonzaga wins, they move on to the championship, those moments are always so wild, and I didn't really have any emotion when it happened, like, I, I don't know, I feel like when those moments happen, when you're on the side of the team winning, you go nuts. When you're on the side where it's like, damn, did that really just happen? That was me. Like, I, I wasn't really heartbroken because I'm not like an avid fan of the Bruins or anything. But I was just like, damn, man, that's wild. And Jalen Sugg hits, he hits it. He jumps up on the scores table. Something funny that you guys might not even know. One of the OKC Blue players was in attendance for that game. He probably had the best view of Jalen Suggs in that play Ryan Woolridge Gonzaga alum he was like in the first row of the section that Jalen Suggs was you know going crazy on that table I think I'm story right now I don't know if he's deleted it by now but he had a recording dude he was right there he's gonna have an amazing account of just what happened that is one hell of a game. To even, you know, get tickets to that is is wild, especially what's going on now. The seats that he had, wild. And to see a moment like that, you're never going to forget that. That's something that you're going to see in all those YouTube compilations for the next 10 years. So if you're a big UCLA fan, don't watch those. As an Oklahoma State football fan, I can't watch some of the football ones because you know that really trashy central michigan game from like seven years ago where they did this hail mary with like cooper rush or something 
you know, lateral, like at the two-yard line, and, you know, that play shouldn't happen because the refs, like a couple possessions before, screwed up on one of Gundy's plays. It's Gundy's fault. Gundy always kind of has some of those slip-ups. That one was definitely bigger than some of the others, but I always got to just breeze right by those. I know if you guys are, like, fans of any other team and you watch that, you probably know what I'm talking about. Like, I just can't re-watch some of those those clips. I know there's more of those kinds of uh, games that I just refuse to watch. I, I think the Curry half court from 2016, I tend to try to stray away from it. I feel like I've seen it a couple of different times, but I'm just not a big fan. You know, there's there's some other ones as well that I just have a really tough time swallowing, but Man, that, that was just a real moment. I think that, you know, for the Thunder, I could probably do a profile on Jalen Suggs. I think when the season's over for us and you're in that kind of transition period to the draft, I might just go all out on scouting people and making podcasts for that. Not set in stone, though, so don't just get your, your hopes up. Maybe I'll do that. We'll see. But Jalen Suggs looked like an absolute leader in that game. That's somebody that obviously you'd want to have paired with our our grouping you know how does he work with SGA how does he work with Maladon I don't know I I think whenever we pick if we're in the top five you go best available 100% and Suggs he's a playmaker man and he was performing in the clutch you had um you know some of the mainstays in the Gonzaga roster by the end of it kind of just their wheels were falling off and they didn't have anybody to really pick themselves up I know that I think it was like Kispert I might be botching his last name up a little bit had a wide open left wing jump shot just shanked it and that's that's how you end up with the game getting tied on the other side but Jalen Suggs really just pulled it all through and it's gonna be fun to see him going up against the Baylor Bears they got four different point guards who are just amazing so just seeing them battle it out will be will be uh great it might be intertwining schedules again with the Thunder. That's just how it has seemed to work every single night. I think I got bailed out whenever, you know, ORU and Oklahoma State were playing on their side of the bracket. You know, th- like the, the schedules when they did kind of work work on the same day always seemed to be perfect. Like ORU games on, then Thunder game, then Oklahoma State game. So it wasn't an issue, but... You know, we'll see what happens in the next game. I might be kind of switching the channels around. I'm really sorry for going just on that all-out tangent, by the way. I just thought that's something that maybe y'all probably, you know, watched. And you kind of want to hear a little bit of perspective. I'm not a Gonzaga fan. I'm not a UCLA fan, though. So, for me, getting down the nitty-gritty, I probably don't have it. I just think it's a cool story, though, that one of our OKC Blue players has a really good experience from that night and so does Jalen Suggs a guy that Oklahoma City by all accounts should be all over you're looking at a guy who in any other year would be a top pick and you know he could go all the way down to as low as five I think with that shot alone he's not going to go to five like let's just be honest but he's a top pick in this draft class and I think he really showed out as to why like he was a little bit silent before clutch time but in clutch time he made it count. Clutch time, that's something that scouts should probably be looking into, you know. I don't have the statistics on how much clutchness in college goes into how you project later on, but 
it's going to boost him up a couple points. I can assure you of that. We'll see how Sam Presti evaluates him later on, and we'll see how he plays against the Baylor Bears. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap it up for today's episode. Tomorrow, I will do a preview for the Detroit Pistons game. I'll probably throw in another just side segment. I know you guys kind of enjoy those, so I'm not going to stray away from those. I'm not just going to do the game preview for you guys. But other than that, that is going to wrap it up for today's podcast. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.